It's time for episode 35 of the Clockwise Podcast from your pals at IDG, recorded May 1st, 2014. Clockwise, four guests, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's celebrating May Day. Uh, I'm your co-host, Dan Morin. I am not joined this week by my co-host, Jason Snell, who I believe is on a plane somewhere far, far above the Atlantic Ocean. Um, Joining me are three lovely guests. However, we have Philip Michaels, editor of Tech Hive. Hi, Phil. Happy May Day, comrade. Thank you. It's (laughs) (laughs) I should say. Um, We also have Dan Miller, editor of Macworld. Hello. Hi, Dan. That's two Dan, so as usual, we'll have to find some way to differentiate all of us. Um, And assistant editor Leah Yamshan. Hello. How's it going, Leah? Welcome back. Happy to be here, as always. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm glad that you are all thrilled to be here and that nobody really misses that Jason guy. Um, (laughs) So uh, just to give you a quick refresher of how this works... Each one of us has brought a technology topic that we think is worth discussing today, and we'll spend just five minutes discussing each of those topics. It's going to be really quick and really smooth. I'm, I'm predicting that for today. No problems. So I'll go first, and that way, if anybody messes up, it can be me first. Um, I've been kind of watching from a distance the Apple-Samsung trial that has been progressing over the last several weeks um, and I kind of get a little, you know, little tidbits of information that seem to come out at the end of every day or every few days talking about, you know, this lawyer said this and this other lawyer argued that. And kind of what I get to wondering is, is this really productive in any way as far as the futures of these companies? At the end of the day, does anybody think anything is going to happen beyond, you know, a large chunk of money changing hands from one direction to the other? Or is there some sort of strategic nuance that I am missing here? Phil, what do you think? Thank you for starting with me because um, my my basic feeling about these patent trials is wake me when there is a verdict and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, let me fall back asleep since obviously there will be uh, appeals and retrials. This is the, this is the uh, uh, second Apple-Samsung trial. This is, this is the hit sequel to 2012's <laughs> greatest hits. Um, there, there is nothing of value here for, uh, for end users, for you and me. I guess, I guess in some, some strange tribalistic way if you're you 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 can bring that android ios rivalry and add add the patina of legal uh uh, uh hey a, a judge says we're better uh, kind of argument to it but uh, this isn't going to improve technology this isn't going to improve the final product if if apple wins or if or if samsung manages to defend itself successfully it's not going to mean if if samsung loses this case they're not suddenly going to become well i guess i guess we'll have to innovate our own things now uh it's 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 a sideshow it's a battle of egos it's it's just lawyers getting richer and uh and expert witnesses getting surprisingly disgustingly richer that is a gig that i need to sign up for somehow dan what about you 
Um, I too am colossally bored by the whole thing. Um, I, you know, I, I think Phil's doing a, a good job by saying he's interested when the verdict comes out, because even that's kind of a stretch for me. Uh, I, you know, it's based on my, my, uh, just incredibly tiny knowledge or actually I, I don't know anything about patent law at all but based on other things I know about I suppose there's an argument that says Apple has to defend its patents that it has to go out there and say hey that's ours because otherwise everybody would just trample all over their rights uh, and all kinds of other ways but otherwise I see absolutely no reason for it um, you know they they tried in the last one to get uh, uh, the judge to to in, put a permanent injunction against the sale of Samsung phones, and I understand that the judge says no way. Uh, you know, they, they supposedly got a, an, an award, a monetary award, but even that was, frankly, chump change to them. So, uh, you know, it seems like a colossal waste of time. It seems like a technicality, and I am just not interested. At this point, it's just gotten really petty. I mean, right now, <laughs> they're pouring through Steve Jobs' old emails to the company. I mean, it's it's let the man rest in peace, okay? Right, but I mean, they're trying to decipher what his true intent was and if that has anything to do with the patent infringements at hand. And I mean, it, it's it's just it's just gotten really petty. Um I don't think it will ultimately be productive by the time it lines up. I mean, at this point, these are older patents. Um, both companies are always working on what's next and filing new patents and working on the new technology to kind of advance things. So it's it's just a battle of a battle of wills at this point. And um, I feel sorry for the tech reporters that still have to go every day and listen to more of the same week after week. So it, it seems like it's it's almost. It's almost wrapped up, um, but no, it, it's not. It's not productive for the consumer or for anybody, really. <laughs> you know who the real winner in this case has been? The the, the uh, sketch. I was going to say the sketch. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> they, that's the they, thing I look forward to the most. They have been doing the best work of their career. Uh, I just want to say so. Kudos, uh, guy or gal who's been drawing Phil Schiller and and other lawyers and 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 the judge. It's it's never as exciting in the actual court case as, you know, those dramatized on TV and movie court cases that we see, right? There aren't people like jumping up yelling objection all the time and none of these people are really as attractive as the people who will eventually play them on television. So, yeah, not even a benefit for the actors. Um well, that's that's my topic. Phil, what have you got for us today? Sure. Uh it, it, speaking of things that people are are vastly indifferent to, Google Plus. Um <laughs> Vic Gondatra, uh, 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 who was the senior VP of, uh, of Google, recently uh, uh, skedaddled from that company quite abruptly. And that has cast into doubt the future of Google's social network. And I guess my question for you, panel, wait, this is a totally different podcast. Why did Google... <laughs> what? Why did Google Plus fail, and uh, what, if anything, could be done to make you suddenly care about the service? I realize that's a loaded question. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps one of you actually does care about it and is going to set me straight. Uh, Dan Miller? Uh, no, I don't care about it. Um, you know, as a pers- from a personal perspective, I don't need it. I, I have ignored it because I don't need another social network, and and people I, I don't know that many people who use it, so I, I I just don't need it. The the thing I found interesting though is that is that Google, you know, they have the money to do all kinds of stuff, to waste all kinds of time on all kinds of things, 
uh, you know, self-driving cars and robots. And, 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 and it's odd to see them seemingly uh, change direction on a product. And, and I think it, it speaks to the fact that they really do see this as being incredibly important to their, to their, to their base uh, business of selling ads. So uh, it, it was interesting to me for that reason that it's not just one of these little, oh, let's try this, let's try that. It really seems to matter to them. And uh, so it will be interesting to see what they do with it in the future. Right. Google did need something. They did need a social element um, to succeed for for their Google Apps products. Um, but, I mean, really Google Plus itself has failed because there really wasn't – there isn't much of a hook to get people to use it in the first place. Um, when it first launched, their hook was kind of that it's more transparent because people have to disclose their full names to have a Google Plus account, and it has to be linked directly um, to Gmail, so communication is, is a bit clearer on the privacy end as well. But there was never really feature-wise anything else that it offered that ever made it a serious competitor. So when it first launched, I think people were excited to kind of see what Google would do next to improve it, and they didn't. They haven't really done anything to differentiate itself. Um, and I think Google users are kind of frustrated that they're now we're kind of forced to having a plus page if you need to take advantage of some of Google's other products like Hangouts. I believe you have to have a Google plus thing just on the side um, to really take advantage of that. YouTube so, as well, I think. Mm-hmm, everything is is integrated. Nobody likes to be forced into something, even if it's something that they never use. And if you're forced into something, Especially you never quite you understand never it. it. <laughs> right. So I guess if it's going to ever succeed, Google needs to find some way to make it more clear about what Google Plus is good for. So funny story. Earlier this week, I discovered that the Macworld page, so we have a page for Macworld on Google Plus, much as we do on Facebook. I discovered that that page had disappeared entirely. <laughs> as you can imagine, the outcry was fierce. And by fierce, I mean, <laughs> I did not realize it for about two or three days. It, so, it was about, it was as if thousands of voices <laughs> cried out and then were suddenly silenced. Except they were silenced <laughs> first. Um, yeah, so I think Leah kind of hit the nail on the head with a sort of being forced into it thing. It's the, it's as if the government suddenly created a social network. It was like, yeah, you guys love us. We got all your information. <laughs> like, come on, start sharing your tax returns. I don't know. It's, it's hard to get, like, it's, no one's really sure what makes a social network succeed, right? Like Facebook has built up a lot of stuff, but it, it's because at a certain point it was hot, right? And like, everybody was like, oh, you gotta be on Facebook. Twitter has, has also succeeded because of, you know, the combination of the people who are on there. But there, it seemed, it always seemed like the only people who were really psyched to be on Google Plus are people who work for Google. And that's not enough mm -hmm. of a core sort of group to really get other people into it. For what it's worth, I do hear that there are some smaller communities that are really active on Google Plus. And while that's great, it doesn't really make it a huge social network, right? It's starting to, it's more of like a ghettoized, like, oh yeah, there's these people talking about this topic over here and they seem really excited and into it, but it's not generalized at all. It doesn't seem to go beyond that. So yeah, I think their their biggest problem was Google is still, unfortunately, it can't really figure out cool right and i think social networking really depends on whatever that vague idea of cool is so that's a tough sell for them yeah those google employees are really google plusing the hell out of that service <laughs> <laughs> um when it first launched 
it interested me because it, it, at the time, if, if you go back through the mists of time, what, what, what was it, 10, 20, 30 years ago when Google <laughs> Plus came, um, they, they had those, those circles, which at the time, if you remember, Facebook was everything that you post here is shared with everyone you've ever, you've ever nodded to, whether it's your, your wife or your family or your second cousin or, or that guy you knew in high school that you didn't much like. It's all going out there. Whereas Google Plus added this organizational thing, and I thought, oh, Ooh, that's that's intriguing. And then then I realized, man, that that's a lot of work to to when when your social network becomes a lot like you know work. That's that's when it becomes, I think, less interesting to people. Um, and the point, I believe, it was uh, Dan that you mentioned about there being little uh, uh, niche communities on on Google Plus. I think that's where the value in it lies. If Google can find some way uh, to distinguish itself from the from the many other social networks out there, it might have something. But it right now it's sort of a, a, a me too service that the only reason that it has any members is because it forces you to be there. Uh, frankly, we need fewer social networks in this world and 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 not more. And if Google Plus can't think of a reason to be one of the ones that we do need, it's really in Google's best interest just to just to take a pillow to it and, and send it on its way. Mr. Miller, you got a topic for us? Yeah, I have a topic. Uh, this week we ran a couple of, I, I will say, very good stories about uh, by Kirk McElhern about uh, tagging in iTunes. I know it's a topic that, that thrills everybody. But uh, as uh, I've posted previously on Macworld.com, I'm, I've been kind of an obsessive iTunes tagger all as long as I've been using the the the, uh, the service, you know this tagging meaning you know keeping all the all the little metadata fields up to date and correct like name artist all that kind of stuff. And uh, as I was you know reading these stories, I realized it's it's actually I've kind of changed. I've kind of made a switch here in the last I don't know when it was last year or so where I kind of, it started to seem to use Phil's phrase it's started to seem like a lot of work, and it it made me think you know it's like I've got. I think 14,000 tracks of music now or something ridiculous like that. And it, it just, all of a sudden, iTunes started to seem like a lot of work to me. And, and, and it, trying to find the stuff I wanted started to get harder. And, and, and I wasn't listening, you know, how much of that stuff was I actually listening to. And, and I was actually using Spotify and Pandora and sometimes even iTunes radio more often where I just wanted to listen to a song and then some other songs like it. And it was, it was a whole lot easier. And so I guess I just wanted to find out from you all how your music listening habits have changed and whether you're still iTunes users or whether you've kind of moved on from that whole music ownership model to something more like streaming and uh, just wanted to get your feedback on that. Well, my music listening habits have definitely changed, but I still do use iTunes. Um, I, I have, I still have a, a lot of physical music. I have a lot of CDs. I still buy vinyl pretty regularly. Um, if And if you're buying newly pressed vinyl, it often comes with a digital download code. So I'll... Um, I'll download the the album and then I'll have it um, stored in my iTunes account. And I kind of like having a digital backup of all of my collection of the things that I actually own. And I still do use iTunes exclusively for that. And I do sync um, my music with my iPhone. I don't use an iPod anymore. Um, RIP iPods. <laughs> but I still do like to have music on my phone that isn't streaming um, for when I'm on the airplane, when I'm driving long distances, things like that. 
Um, so for me, iTunes is still pretty necessary. But for the day-to-day music listening, I have an audio account. And um, I still like to listen to specific artists and full albums front to, you know, all the way through. Um, but audio is kind of is, is suiting my needs um, more than iTunes is these days. Um, I don't think iTunes, it's, it's not that it's, it's not irrelevant yet, um, but Apple really needs to do something to kind of push it back into everybody's day-to-day, you know, habits again um, by adding a little something to it. But what that is, I don't know, because iTunes Radio, it's <laughs> nice, but it wasn't the answer that Apple is looking for, I don't think. I actually, I do use iTunes a lot still, and that's because I tend to listen to my existing collection of music. Um, but I have found myself more and more, you know, hearing a song and thinking, well, do I want to spend money on that? I'm going to go listen to the whole thing on Spotify. And then I listen to the whole thing on Spotify, and I'm like, well, I can always just listen to it here. I don't need to go buy it. <laughs> Every once in a while, I mean, I do still buy tracks. Um, I don't buy stuff as common uh, commonly as I used to. I do buy albums occasionally, but not that often because I only tend to follow like a few bands. Um, but I agree that there's a whole sort of philosophy of too much work in terms of like the categorizing and upkeep and all that. And sometimes you just want to listen to a song. Um, and I find that's the way a lot of technology is going these days. Uh, it used to be you needed to have this really strict order imposed on all these things and categorizations. And it's like, oh, all your files, right? They all have to be in folders. And then those folders may want to be tagged or in other folders um, or you're in the same thing with your mail. Um, and in all those cases, I've really just given up on like really strict organizing for search most of the time. If I really need something, I can search and look for it. And so the sort of corollary to that on the music side is if I really want to listen to a song, I can probably find it on Spotify or on YouTube or uh, even just listen to the preview on iTunes and decide if I want it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a very interesting scenario. And I think that what Leah you know was talking about in terms of Apple having to make some changes there. I think a streaming service it does seem like everything is kind of going in that direction, even though we, you know, have Apple has touted the own your own music drum for so long. I think the idea of having a giant library that you pay a certain amount for, much like you do with something like Netflix, and just say, hey, I want to listen to this song right now. Click. There we go. There's that song. I think that is the way of the future. Um, and the only thing really holding it back at this point are things like, well, I, I love listening to music on my phone as I'm out walking, but I really does eat up my data plan if I don't have copies of all those songs downloaded onto my phone. So yeah, I, I use iTunes a lot. Um, I still like it, but it does sometimes feel like more of a burden than an actual useful utility. Well, I use iTunes all the time. I, I, I thumb my nose at your Spotify's and your RDOs and your your uh, your, your your Pandora's. Uh, I, 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 you know, the vinyl thing impresses me. I didn't know we had a hipster in the house. Um, oh, pshaw, Phil, come on. <laughs> I, I use eight track cassette. How about that? Wax cylinders yeah. are where it's at. Um, no, uh, you know, I like iTunes. It still serves my purposes. You know, I really like the Genius Mix. I also that's also because I like when the Genius Mix gets things hilariously wrong, like putting <laughs> Dean Martin in a punk mix, as apparently it, <laughs> it has right now on my computer while I was uh, fiddling with it. Um, I'm not a big fan with what they did with the um, the iTunes corollary in iOS seven. I think that was um, the the music player on my my phone is. Uh, is less useful than it was. I think if iTunes has a problem right now, it's that it's it's the non-music parts of it. I think it's just gotten too bloated with the movies and the TV shows and the the podcasts and the books and the apps that basically it's become um, 
the place where Apple just throws every piece of digital content. And I think that might um, be to the, the detriment of the actual music portion that the, that the program is going to serve. Um, and that maybe Apple should have a rethink about what it's trying to do with digital content. I would say split it into different apps, but they tried doing that with the podcast app on in, in mobile, <laughs> and that is terrible. That was very bad. That's a terrible app. So that's 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 what I got. Yeah, I think it's I think it's um, you know we're we're looking at refreshes of iOS and OS ten later on this year. We're also hearing a lot of rumors about a you know revamps to the Apple TV service, and I think this would be a, a great year for Apple to to really seriously rethink their whole sort of digital media strategy. It sounds like it's you know iTunes is still working for a lot of people, um, but I I do think we could we could uh, we could look for some improvements there uh, over the course of this year. Leah, what about you? Would you bring us a topic today? I did. I want to talk about location-based discovery apps today. Um, So Foursquare just announced that it's actually going to split up its service into two services. Um, One will still keep the Foursquare name, and that will just be about local discovery. And the second one is going to be called Swarm, which will focus on checking in to places and seeing where your friends are. Um, I, I feel like in the last couple of months, there have been new um, location-based apps are being released all the time, and they're all focused around checking into places, seeing what's nearby, seeing where your friends are. Um, Findery comes to mind. That's the app that Katerina Fake launched um, a few months back about social discovery. Um, There's another app called Social Radar, which was just checking in and seeing where your friends are and friends of friends and things like that. And to me, it seems like it's it's just a little bit too much. So I was just wondering if any of you still use any check-in social discovery apps or why you think developers still feel the need to build new ones. I have literally never checked into a single location in my entire life. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I never used Foursquare. Um, The closest I've ever gotten probably is like using something like Yelp. And that was probably because they, you know, tried to entice me with some sort of like coupon or deal for a restaurant that I was at or wanted to go to. Um, But even then, I I like I I really liked the idea of location based stuff and especially knowing where my friends are. But nowadays, I feel like I have such a, you know, sort of small, close knit group of friends that it's not really as much of an issue. Um, The places where it comes in useful for me is I do like find my friends as, as a far as a location-based app goes just because it is handy sometimes to know like when my girlfriend's running late or where I'm meeting people or things like that um but and and I like it also for um it's nice for conferences like when I'm at conferences kind of knowing like oh yeah where what bar are people drinking at for example tonight but in my everyday life it doesn't really come up at all so I I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm venturing into old fogey territory here but I'm pretty happy not to be the mayor of any place or what have you so uh yeah I don't think that these new apps are really much going to change my tune on that one but maybe Phil Michaels has a different answer Yeah, that's I probably shouldn't make that bet. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but this has been this has been a fun. Po- why is there Pat Law? Why why is there Google Plus? Why do I need to check in? We are just America's fun crowd here. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I the check in stuff has never has never really intrigued me. The uh, discovering stuff around you does, particularly when I travel. I found. Um, 
that the problem with these apps is that they're only really as good as the as the people participating in it's it's the old um, the old catch twenty two that you need an active community to join an active community. Um, I haven't used a lot of these apps. I think that the fact that that we're seeing a lot of them suggests that there's um, possibly a need for them. I think people want to know what's going on around them and 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 don't want to miss out on fun things. Um, uh, I just think that they need to find a way to um, to 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 bring a more high tech approach than basically the uh, the calendar listings of your local newspaper. They're not really improving upon that with. Uh, with discovering events nearby you, and and um, really they should be. I'm intrigued by it, but I, I have yet to find the app that that uh, that I think has nailed it, and and so the the search continues. Well, I um I am the I'm probably the mayor of Old Fogey Town. I I don't check in <laughs> anywhere either. I um I do like location based uh, discovery apps. I use those all the time. Um, well all the time. Whenever I'm traveling, I, I do like to have things like Around Me or, or Yelp being location aware so you can find restaurants that are near you and stuff like that. But as far as the social part of it, I do say, I, I will say that I've used, um, you know, I go back to my social network. I go to Facebook and I can go to Facebook and say, hey, I'm traveling to this place. Do you guys know any place, I should, anything I should, any restaurants I should go to? So there, you know, there are other tools available for that kind of thing for me. So I have never been a, a big Foursquare fan, um, but if they're if they're going more towards that sort of social, I mean, local discovery angle with the Foursquare app itself, um, that could be good. That could be interesting for me. A hundred percent of Dan's don't check in anyplace. That's that's <laughs> from the sample size on this podcast. I am the mayor of Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Have we disappointed you, Leah? Are we just are you just crying a single tear for us? No, I actually don't really use too many of them either. <laughs> Who I, are um, these people? <laughs> I do like you know, I do like Foursquare, but not necessarily to broadcast uh where I am to the world. I kind of like it. I've made several um like checklists and to-do lists on Foursquare, you know, restaurants that people have told me to check out. Um Eater SF always keeps a pretty updated map of like the best new bars and things like that so when i check into a place on foursquare it will automatically check it off that list for me so it's kind of a nice um one-stop shop for just like keeping track of of where i've been but the badge aspect never really interests me about it and um, i never liked it when i would go hang out with someone and they would try to check me in somewhere i think there does need to be with these services um clearer regulations for for privacy and they've 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 improved but there still is a bit of a of a creepy factor there um i don't see myself using the swarm feature of foursquare also like, what a what a terrible name <laughs> terrible. That, is, that is the most frightening name i could think of for a location-based app i don't i don't think i would use that one these swarms of people you, you think of like swarms of bees zombies or swarms of zombies <laughs> yeah. exactly swarms of like terrible wild beasts nothing like that's not a place I will I, I will say that. nothing good comes in a swarm I'm pretty <laughs> confident about that all right well we've covered our four technology topics and it's uh, time for our little bonus question at the end so I was gonna ask you I recently got as a gift um, the collected works of Raymond Chandler an author I really like I was curious to know if you guys had any particular favorite author or somebody whose works you really would love to own all of Phil why thanks Dan that's a great question um, but I think the answer would be for me as a as a baseball fan 
Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of Bill James, uh, who uh, other baseball fans will will know uh, as. Uh, as an innovator in the, the world of statistical analysis of baseball, or as the Simpsons once put it, the man who made baseball as fun as doing your taxes. But I enjoy him, um, and I wouldn't mind his collected works, including some of the old uh, uh, baseball abstracts that he used to do when he was the night watchman at a bean factory, and he would basically mimeograph them and send them out to his subscribers. There are some people that have, uh, that have extensive collections of old uh, Bill James abstracts uh from the from the late 70s and i i want the whole kit and caboodle and and also some beans from that factory (laughs) dan how about you well uh i was gonna say um uh, john updike Hmm. uh just i've been rereading him there's a new uh, biography of him out right now and i it caused me to go back to some of his old short stories and i've forgotten how much i absolutely loved him but the problem is he's written about four million books um, it would be a very, very large boxed set. Um, but if I had to pick one person right off the top of my head, it would be Updike. Leah, do you have a favorite author or someone whose works you'd like to own? This is a silly. This is a silly answer. Um, I like to collect different pressings of J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Ha. So I have two complete sets of the. Um, the books that we all know and love in America with the original um, illustrations by, I believe her name is Mary Grand Prix. Um, a new box set came out here in the U.S. Um, last December, which I own. And I also own a set of the U.K. edition. And I believe for my birthday coming up, I'm getting a complete set of the books in Hebrew. So I like to collect nice. them in different illustrations, different languages, kind of kicking me in the butt to actually like learn new languages, too. So. Well, we've been carefully watching the clock, and that's literally all the time we have. Philip Michaels, thank you for being here. I've been very happy to be here. Dan Miller, thank you for being here as well. Always a joy. And Leah Yamshan, thank you for being here in the original vinyl. Of course. Look for me in the used section of Amoeba Records. (laughs) So until next time, from all of us here at Clockwise, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.